0: episode of the Mad, Bad and Damn Right Strange Showcase, where I invite bloggers, filmmakers and fellow film junkies to help me work for the 1001 film introduction to and Obscure Cinema, which is the Mad, Bad and Damn Right Strange list. I'm your host as always, Elwood Jones of From the Depths of DVD Hell, and tonight we celebrate another first as we invite our first video blogger onto the show. Um, I'm joined tonight by in my own opinion, probably one of the most exciting video bloggers currently working at the moment. Um, it greets me great pleasure to welcome to the show this evening, uh, Brandon Tunnold.
1: Hey, good to be here. This is uh, this is my very first podcast, so this is exciting.
0: Thank you. Uh, well, first of all, thank you for obviously coming on. I know that obviously as a video podcaster, it's pretty hectic your own work schedule as it is, so I uh, appreciate the time to uh, come on and discuss a couple of films this evening.
1: Yeah, no problem, man.
0: Um, obviously, before we get into the two films that you selected from the list this evening uh, which is, as we were saying before we were recording it, a unique mixture to say the least. Um, Tonight we're going to be looking at the anime classic Ghost in the Shell as well as Sam Raimi's 1981 debut uh, the splattertastic Evil Dead. Um, But obviously, first of all, as a uh, video blogger, you first of all started off with YouTube. You've now recently joined Channel Awesome um where well, you're obviously mm-hmm. now hosting your show I mean what was the inspiration to obviously first get into video blogging in the first place
1: Not what I what are you as blogging per se I just I don't know I think when I think of uh, like video bloggers you think of uh, videos where it's, it's all just you know uh, a talking head and they're talking about uh, some personal issues or something like that my my ambition was just sort of to make uh make videos about... Uh, I you know I originally started out with uh, the series called Unsung, where I did album reviews um, and it was a, just a way to talk about something I was interested in and get something out there. So I really thought of myself as a, a blogger really it's uh, it's entertainer or, or probably be the best, uh, best description of of what I'm trying to do. So okay,
0: that's fine. I mean obviously the. For anyone who's not seen the show, uh, you, the show is really just sort of a study of, would you say it's sort of like cult and obscure cinema?
1: Yeah, cult films, uh, what they call a genre films, so that means, you know, sci-fi, horror, uh, martial arts, exploitation, just any anything that has sort of a, a weirder, unusual uh, theme to it.
0: Yeah, I mean, I would, I've been frequently surprised by the films that you have featured because... In a way, I don't know if you've intentionally done it, but you've steered away from sort of like the more sort of well-known films of the genre. You're like you've not done *Troll 2*, and instead you've opted to do film, uh, films like *Cave Alien*. Uh, you recently st- started doing the uh, *Tales from the Crypt* sort of movies like *Demon Knight, um, as well as just the fun monster movies like *The Last Dinosaur*. And a lot of these films I hadn't even heard of until you sort of featured on your your video cast. So I mean. Was the intention always to try and aim for films that aren't so regularly covered or is it just sort of the films that interest you more?
1: Yeah, the, the main reason, because I get asked to do like Troll 2 and uh, The Room is another big one that I get asked to do a lot. But the, the main reason I avoid doing movies like that is that there's so many other people have already covered them so that I don't, I don't really know what I could add to it, like what I could say about them that hasn't already been said really. And uh, I've kind of branched away from this a little bit, but when I first started out, it was uh, just a way to do movies that I had first seen when I was a kid, either, you know, movies that I got from the video store or that I saw on TBS or TNT back when they used to play monster movies and stuff like that. So for the first few episodes, like Barbarella or uh, The Lost Continent, Last Dinosaur, The Dinosaur, the Dick McClure movies, those are all movies that uh, I first saw when I was a little kid, and then this is kind of a way to revisit them, sort of while also poking fun at them as well.
0: Obviously, we've been based, uh, you're obviously based in Canada. I mean, Canada and the States, would you say there's more of a culture for sort of like these obscure movies than, say, uh, there is in places like Europe? Uh,
1: I don't know. I. I really haven't spent uh, a whole lot of time in Europe. I just went there for the first time uh, last year. I do know that um, Europe certainly produced a lot of these movies. Uh, a lot of the movies I do, um, a lot of them were made in the UK or Italy, places like that. So uh, there certainly was a culture for movies of this type, uh, at least in the, probably from, I'd say from the 60s up until the 80s, definitely. But uh, as far as far as the scene nowadays, yeah, I
0: don't think I could really say. And it, it certainly seems to be the case, and I think, I don't know if it's purely because of uh, the fact that over, over in, the, in the States of Canada you had Mystery Science Theater 3000. Yeah. And it's a show which never really came over to the UK. So we only sort of got like late night sort of uh, sort of B-movies and that, and it was more a case of taping them. So I don't feel that it's ever we've ever had that sort of culture, and it's sort of been more down to the individual sort of to hunt these films out over here. Um, I mean, do you feel like shows like Mystery Science uh, Theater 3000 sort of have really sort of uh, inspired more people to get into cult cinema? Uh, well,
1: well, definitely did that with me. Um, if you if you see my show, you can tell that I'm a big fan of Mystery Science Theater 3000. That was a, a big inspiration for uh, for what I do. I didn't really like a, a lot of the movies I mentioned earlier. I saw those before a little bit before Mystery Science Theater 3000 because I didn't really get into Mystery Science Theater 3000 until sort of just as it got canceled cuz it I think it ended in um, 99 I think so it would have been about 14 or so so and that's and that's when I uh first started uh first started getting into watching it so um but that's uh, kind of makes me sad that uh, you never got it over in the UK
0: <laughs> Yeah it's um I don't know what it, what it was we just never it never sort of found a channel over there. and obviously when we look at things like tales that tells the crypt um again that was just late night viewing we had that and we had like the war of the worlds series and these were like shown at two in the morning um and the sort of things that if you happen to leave your video player running if you like recording wrestling or whatever else was being shown at that time you would sort of catch them by accident um so we never really had them sort of over here so i think that certainly is the reason we don't have the same sort of culture that if you obviously go there to like the stage, you have a lot of the big fantasy festivals where they just have these big marathons of uh, classic B movies and that and we sort of uh, have them more of as TV schedule filler or something sort of camping kitsch.
1: Well, uh, seeing movies on late night was, it was kind of the same for me at least because I was, I grew up in a, a small town on the prairie so you know there weren't really any film festivals for me to go to. Um, a lot of the movies I saw were ones that I taped off of TV you know when a channel was playing uh, Mothra or War of the Gargantuas at 2 a.m. or something like that. So, so the experience was kind of the same for me when I was a kid, I guess. Yeah.
0: I mean, obviously now that you've well, you've essentially moved into the big leagues, really, by be, becoming part of Channel Awesome, which is obviously home to to previously been home to the likes of Spoonie, uh, with the Spooning experiment, you obviously have the nostalgia critic, um, as well as the cinema snob. Um, mm-hmm. Do you feel like any sort of pressure now to sort of step up uh, your game and find even more sort of obscure cinema, or you sort of got your sort of plan of the films that you want to sort of cover?
1: Um, this hasn't being on Channel Awesome hasn't really changed uh, the type of movies that I'm going to pick. It's just there's sort of extra pressure in that. Okay, I got to be I gotta be as good as I can now, but uh, so far the response has been pretty positive. I got a I got the Cinema Snob to cameo in my Alienator video, which was awesome. And uh, yeah, so far I, uh, there's been three of my videos that have debu- debuted on uh, Channel Awesome so far, and uh, I think I think the yeah people seem to like it. Uh, the, the Once Upon a Girl one got a, got a good response, yeah. so. Just continue along that line, I suppose.
0: I mean, obviously, you've you said already that you sort of cover the movies that you sort of like to watch. So you've obviously covered like the giant monster movies, uh, like the kaiju movies, like the Godzilla and Mothra, um, as well as sort of the you did kung fu movies um, such as Change of the Tiger um, and mm-hmm. sort of the dodgy sort of sci-fi sort of like Star Crash. Um, I mean, if you've got any plans to look at sort of the things like the um, over in here, we had the public information films, like Apaches, which were generally just designed to terrify children to not, like, play on rails or near power lines and stuff. So, I mean, have you any sort of plans to look at those sorts of films, or would you prefer just to keep it strictly sort of genre movies?
1: Um, I don't have any plans for stuff like that yet. It might be kind of fun to do something like, uh, like Shake Hands with Danger, which is this, uh, it's a short film, but it's all about, like, construction safety, but... Everything's, everything's done in like the most over-the-top heavy-handed way possible so there's a lot of a lot of right material there for something like that
0: yeah i mean i mean obviously just you've discussed a little bit about your sort of film taste there but um obviously with the festive season coming up upon us uh, rub quickly um i mean do you have any sort of films that you like to dig out about this sort of year uh no i've
1: never i've never done like a christmas themed episode and it's just um and that's another case where a lot of the uh the big like cult christmas themed films like a, a big a, an obvious one would be uh silent night the silent night deadly night series but again that's one that's that a lot of other people have already done so uh yeah the only the only holiday that kind of gets a theme for me is Halloween and part of the joke of that is that uh, it's hard for me to pick what to do just because I mostly do a lot of monster movies anyway so uh, so yeah my um, the video I'm going to release around this Christmas is not going to be uh, Christmas themed let me just put it that way
0: um, and obviously we've been a horror fan I mean I have to obviously ask what would you say is the scariest movie you've ever seen
1: Ooh, that's a tough question. Um, well, uh, I think one one that was just that was really effective for me when I saw it when I was little is uh, the first uh, Alien. Uh, that one was that's a really good one because it's got uh, it's got both the creepy atmosphere, but plus there's a few uh, a few jump scares in there, but they don't have like, the obnoxious music thing like a lot of the horror movies nowadays have to do. So that would probably be my pick.
0: Okay, and. Again, I have to obviously uh, ask her, what would you say is the last film that sort of like blew your mind that you sort of, after watching you had to sort of rush out and tell people about it?
1: Well, how about this? The, la- the last movie that really caught me by surprise? I just saw this a little while ago, but it's an Australian movie called uh, the-, the Babadook. And it's, uh, it's apparently getting like quite a bit of hype now. But when I saw it, I basically knew nothing about it. I just knew that it was a horror movie from Australia yeah. and just kind of on the lark just thought, oh, OK, I'll check this out. And I watched it, and I was very surprised how much I enjoyed it. It's another one where um, it's a movie that re- relies almost entirely on just making this really sort of escalating creepy atmosphere. There's basically no gore in it. Uh, there's very few jump scares. So it was. It's the type of horror movie that uh, that I really like. So that's one I've already told a few of my friends about it now.
0: Yeah, I mean Australia's been surprising as of uh, i would say the last 10 years of producing some truly great horror movies we've obviously had as you said the babadook uh we had the loved ones mm-hmm. um and we also had uh, films such as uh, uh such as primal uh which come out and it's again it's another surprising country uh, another one whenever i'm thinking of surprising countries again would be israel which gave us big bad wolves and uh
1: yeah. Rabies, yeah. Rabies is another uh, another movie that, again, I didn't know anything about it, just knew it was a horror movie from Israel. I thought, okay, I've never seen an Israeli horror movie before, let's check this out, and yeah, I liked it. I liked that movie a lot. I think I loved, uh Big Bad Wolves is the one that gets, is the one that's getting more of the attention, but I feel yep. like Rabies a little bit better.
0: I think uh, Big Bad Wolves obviously has got the advantage of uh, Tarantino giving it his, his personal endorsement, um, mm-hmm. whereas obviously Rabies, despite obviously coming out first and having the acclaim of being the first Israeli horror movie. Um, As you said, is sort of like on the way, but I think hopefully people who like Big Bad Wolves will go and check out Rabies and uh, obviously discover it for themselves, even without that sort of celebrity acclaim to it.
1: I have to do some research to find out if Rabies really is the first Israeli horror movie, because I find a lot of like uh, smaller countries like to do stuff like that. There's, I can't remember the movie, but it was a it was a horror movie from Switzerland that was made like just a couple of years ago, and it said like Switzerland's first horror movie, and it's not like Switzerland has made horror movies before this one. <laughs> Switzerland Switzerland's made horror movies like at least going back to the seventies. So
0: I can't um, honestly, I can't say that I've ever seen a horror movie from Switzerland. Uh, but then again, I'm there not, there aren't a lot, but they
1: but they do have them.
0: I'm not exactly up to uh, speed of my Swiss cinema. It has to be said.
1: Well, this is the country that produced uh, HR
0: Giger,
1: so. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. a little something about scary stuff.
0: Yeah, it would surprise me if, if they hadn't been working on uh, horror before uh, before then. So, uh. But um, one of the sort of last questions I want to ask, is it's something I like to ask whenever I've got blogs on the show. Um, obviously, coming from the. While well, you obviously don't identify yourself as being a V blogger, I mean, do you feel that the more traditional form of uh, written blogging still has a place uh in these times where video blogging seems to be taking over uh to an extent where it almost seems uh, that the written form has become sort of obsolete
1: uh well, I, I certainly hope it does because there are speaking personally for me there are some times where you know i don't want to watch a video about uh, a movie or something like that sometimes i just want to read a little article or something like that and i've even uh I've written reviews like uh, for different sites like Dread Central and uh, Eccentric Cinema, which is sadly no longer with us. But, uh, yeah, I, there are times where I enjoy just reading a, a written review about uh, about horror and sci-fi movies.
0: Yes. It is obviously nice uh, that, that there are people out there still, obviously, doing the written form, and obviously there are people out there who have taking the sort of video format and sort of run with it and doing unique and interesting things. Um, I mean, obviously, do you find that within your sort of uh, genre that you find yourself sort of struggling to fight against those, uh, should we say, not so great videos, which is basically some guy reading IMDb?
1: Um, I never I never think about stuff like that. I just, you know, I try to do uh, the best work that I can, and then, uh, yeah, I, I rarely think about... Uh, other people would do stuff like that, to be honest.
0: So, <laughs> fair enough. Um, the first one we're going to be looking at this evening is the uh, it's the 1995 uh, anime classic Ghost in the Shell uh, certainly if we were to list the top five animes of all time this would certainly be in the second position and if not number one if it had not been for Akira taking that top spot but it'd be impossible to talk about top anime certainly without mentioning Ghost in the Shell uh, which certainly has earned its place along the likes of Vampire Hunter D Katsuko Shilogo and the, of course the aforementioned and legendary Akira the film itself is set in the year 2029. Section 9A have been set up to control hackers as well as to keep control of uh, the cybernetic uh, community at large. However, things are thrown into chaos and confusion when an elusive hacker known as the Puppet Master suddenly starts causing chaos within the city, leaving it up to Major Moto Kusanagi to and her team to try and locate the true identity of the elusive hacker. Um... I would say this film has been a big influence on not only animation on a whole, but to filmmakers like the Wachowskis, who used it as one of the big inspirations for The Matrix. Um, Brandon, I know you're a big anime fan. What's your sort of thoughts on Ghost in the Shell?
1: Um, before I get started, I should probably do like a little disclaimer here. I'm not, I'm not like a hardcore anime fan. Um, I get uh, people on the internet asking me. You know, uh, hey, do you watch uh, Gurren Lagann? Uh, no. Oh, are you into uh, Attack on Titan? No, sorry, I don't watch that. So, uh, so I'm only—I would only consider myself like a, a casual anime fan. But uh, this movie, this movie uh, has a special place for me because this was this was kind of my introduction to the entire genre. Yeah. Um, when I was a kid, like I had seen uh, Japanese animation before. When I was a kid, I watched uh, Astro Boy and Speed Racer. And uh, there's this one show called Samurai Pizza Cats. I don't know if they, they got that Pizza. one in the UK.
0: Yeah, Samurai Pizza Cats. Uh, there's kind of an unofficial fierce rivalry because uh, Samurai Pizza Cats was released at the same time that Hanna-Barbera decided to release SWAT Cats. Um, here in the UK, so. I was, that was another one I watched. I <laughs> Not love Japanese, S- but I watched that one too. Oh, House is just another kind of wonderful altogether. Um, but yeah, uh, sorry to just derail you with my Cat rampant. No, sorry,
1: yeah, just uh, as I was saying, like I had seen Japanese animation before, but it, it never really occurred to me that it was Japanese. Like, I, you know, I was a kid, like to me they were just, they were just cartoons, you know. Um, but I, I first heard of uh, Ghost in the Shell when uh, this TV show uh, was called the Anti Gravity Room, and it was a show where they mostly focused on comic books, but they also did, you know, some TV and movies and you know, video games, stuff like that. Uh, they did a little feature on it, and I remember thinking, well, what is, what is this? This looks like it's animated, but this looks uh, this looks different. And, uh, you know, growing up in a small town on the prairies in Canada, you know, it obviously never played in a theater anywhere even close to here. So I had to wait until it was on video or DVD to see it. But this is where, uh, like, I remember when I first saw it, it was, you know, I, I definitely hadn't seen any animated movie like it before. And even, uh, even among live action movies, I think the only thing... Sort of comparable to it would have been Blade Runner at that time. So, uh, so this was the one. This is the one that sort of opened up the gates to the. You know, after that, I saw Akira and the the Miyazaki movies and Ninja Scroll and stuff like that.
0: I mean, it's, it's funny that you should obviously mention that this was sort of your introductory point to anime. Um, as again, for myself, it was also a very big a big introductory movie. Um, like yourself, uh, being raised in Cornwall, we didn't uh, have any sort of access to any sort of uh, mainstream sort of uh, showings of anime. We got bits and pieces that were shown like late night on TV, which unfortunately was the more extreme end. So we had things like Devilman, uh, which of course, not knowing about the genre, you assume that all Japanese animation is that extreme. Um, And Ghost in the Shell, it's funny you should compare it to Blade Runner because that is probably the most fitting sort of comparison you can draw. Ghost in the Show is the complete opposite end to the sort of more extreme anime that things by Go Nagy. Um, it's, it's an absolutely beautiful movie to watch um, and has got some very intelligent plotting uh, within, with a nice sort of cyberpunk fun- theme running within. But for many, this was a big introductory movie. Uh, it was released over here through a company called Manga Entertainment, mm-hmm. who were essentially really the UK's only sort of source of anime um, and they would. Release them all on VHS, so you sort of collect some like comic books, and half the time you didn't know what you were getting. I think certainly going into this movie the first time, uh, the first opening five minutes just completely blew my little mind. As a child, when you see uh, the shot, she does the sort of swan dive off the building and goes invisible and uh, does the complete shootout with the terrorists uh, that within the building. Um, obviously, this is probably one of the more sort of smarter animes out there. I mean do you feel that that makes it sort of more harder to access because it's not got any sort of lighthearted sort of moments
1: well um, that probably depends on what the audience is if if you're if it's the people who are into sort of the more uh, the more lighthearted or cutesy anime then yeah it might be a little impenetrable but I think for uh, for just serious sci-fi fans for people who are fans of movies like blade runner i you know i think this is a, a good introduction uh to not just anime but just you know the showing that animation can take on uh, intelligent themes and stuff like that
0: yeah it's i mean certainly i know that when the film was released james cameron again was very complimentary about the films and uh, the film and, and really sort of set that it set a new standard for animation. Um, the film is unquestionably very polished, um, and while the obviously intention when it was released was to get more people into Japanese animation, which unfortunately didn't, it would only be in sort of later years, I would say, more towards uh, 2000, that people of animation really sort of come to the forefront again.
1: Well, I think I think Ghost in the Shell was probably ahead of its time by a few years because yeah anime didn't really uh didn't really become more mainstream in north america until like you said the early 2000s and i think a big part of that was uh because of the internet becoming more popular so fans were able to share more with each other uh ghost in the show was released in 95 which was when the internet was still uh still in its infancy so it was a bit of a head a bit ahead of the curve there but that's also what makes it so good, too.
0: Yeah. I mean, again, it's, it, is, uh, it breaks with sort of convention because a lot of the anime that was being released at the time, um, as I said already, it was sort of more on the gory and the more extreme. You had things like Wicked City, Legends, The Overfiend, and these were sort of like the popular sort of animation. You had little bits and pieces from Ghibli that filled across like Kiki's Delivery Service. But um, the fact that obviously this is, is just a more sort of straightforward sci-fi movie, it's not big on gore, uh, it's certainly got some questionable moments in nudity, um, as the major self has the amazing ability to turn herself invisible, but to do so she has to get completely naked. Um, do you find that the anim- that the actual nudity elements sort of take away slightly from the film, or? Um,
1: no, there like there is nudity in it, but um, some of it, like the the part of the beginning over the um, not the pre credit sequence, but the opening credits where they show uh, making her body. Um, there's nudity there, but it's actually very artistically done. It's, a, that's actually quite a, quite a haunting scene of essentially like building like an artificial human where you see every step, you know, building it from scratch. Yeah. So, uh, so yeah, I think, I think both the nudity and the, the violence, like there are some extreme parts, like there's some, uh, some head explosions and stuff, but it's not as, um... It's not as, like you said, it's not as extreme and it's not as, not as tasteless as some other anime movies do it.
0: Yeah. Um, obviously, as you mentioned, the, the opening credit sequence where we, essentially, see the major being created, um, as all our parts are brought together. Uh, anyone who's seen Bjork's uh, "One Is" is full of love. Will certainly see a big influence from this film. Um, and the actual sequence itself has been recently. Done in live action as part of the Ghost in the Shell project, um, a little off branch of the uh, mind-blowing Akira projects that we saw released earlier this year. Um, but as I said, the with, with the story itself, it is just following the. It's following obviously in the case it's following the case of the Puppet Master who has the power to take over people's bodies and sort of hack uh, their ghost in this case, or what would essentially be considered to be a soul um, only within the bodies of cybernetics, um, the actual plotline itself, um, do you feel it's sort of kind of ambitious? I mean, it's not the most straightforward plotline, so there's a lot of information to sort of take on. Um, I mean, obviously, um, Mamoru uh, Osh- Oshi is sort of taking a big risk with that. I think. Do you think it's sort of credit to the audience that uh, he feels that they're able to obviously deal with such large amounts of information, or do you think...?
1: Well yeah, I think I think it's a movie that it just respects the audience intelligence because you know, it's not like um, it's not like there are chunks of information missing really. Like it, it does tell you what's going on. You just have to be paying attention to catch it. Yeah. Um, and it is, you know, a lot of a lot of the information is given to you fairly quickly because this isn't a long movie by any means. Like it's only I think like an hour and twenty minutes long. Like it's actually a, a very brisk watch. But uh yeah, I, I like how it's able to tell uh, a very densely plotted, intelligent story in a small amount of time, and it's able to fit some philosophical themes in there. So, yeah, I think I think as long as uh, the audiences are paying attention, I, I think they should have no problem with it.
0: Yeah. I mean, compared to, obviously, if this was done as a Western production, it certainly avoids the habit of just doing the info dump where... It's sort of like oh this is links to this and this links to that and just sort of brings you on up to speed it it sort of like gives the information and you have to as you said you have to pay attention um and put it all together yourself um obviously with the character of the the puppet master a rule war in advance we are going to cover spoilers throughout on both this film and the next the puppet master obviously this idea of a entity uh, sort of a, a ai gaining uh, a life of its own i mean do you feel that's sort of like a bit of a far-fetched uh, sort of concept? Or within this sort of setting, do you think it was sort of handled well?
1: Well, the idea of uh, intelligence sort of coming out of something rather than being specifically created might be a little fantastic. But, I, you know, the the great thing about the movie is that it just, it really examines like just the, the line blurring between man and machine you know there's a there's a scene in the elevator where the major like uh, asks like what is what exactly is the difference between someone like me and somebody like the puppet master you know most of me is it's artificial and her partner says well you've got you've got some real human brain tissue in there and she goes like yeah but they they tell me that but how do i know that have you have you ever actually seen your own brain how do i how do i know i have human brain parts and i'm not completely artificial and they just told me that I have some human parts you know so there's uh, yeah I think I think in this movie uh, that plot line's done very well yeah.
0: um, obviously the, you mentioned there um, her, her colleague of uh, Batsu mm-hmm. um, who's probably one of my favourite anime characters of all time he's sort of while well, you've obviously got all these serious characters like the major um, and the chief who do all these big Sort of philosophical debates. I really love the fact Batsu is just probably the straightest character in this game, like in, not in this uh, in this film, and the fact that while everyone else is not keen to go off on like philosophical rants, he's just very straightforward. Like he turns up and is sort of like and blows up the uh, tank at the end, and it's like, oh, what do you hit it with? And he's like, oh, just the standard issue big gun. Do you, I mean obviously I for myself I feel that the film sort of benefit from having that lighter character rather than have all the characters be sort of deep and meaningful. I mean, how, do you think he sort of works for yourself, or would you prefer everyone to, to be sort of on the same sort of level?
1: No, no, it's good. He's yeah. It's the film definitely benefits from having a character like him in it. Like he's sort of the he's the foil for uh, for the major when she when she starts getting a little too uh, too serious and philosophical, and he's he's the the all right, let's get the job done type of guy in the movie. Yeah,
0: I mean. Well, we obviously see Batso and we see the Major a lot. Um, I did actually feel, though, that a lot of the other members of the the team, they're kind of pushed to the background. We find out very little. I think the Chief, again, gets a lot more development, but there's people like the only human member of the team who's got, like, no cybernetic parts. They were sort of, like, so underused, and it was only when we obviously go to the series, uh, like, Standalone Complex, that we sort of found out more about these um i mean did you were you happy that the film just focuses on just sort of a few main characters and only the sort of glances at others or would you like to have known more about the sort of other members of section nine
1: yeah like you said the the human character um i'm blanking on his name right now but uh yeah it's true that he doesn't get a ton of development but like i said the movie is only an hour and 20 minutes long so you know that you don't have a ton of time for a lot of uh you don't have time to develop like every single character the way you know the tv show could and to me ghost in the shell like it's it's about the major it's it's her story so yeah. i'm glad that it focuses on her
0: mm-hmm. i did once we look at the sequel of sorts uh, ghost in the Shell: innocence which chose to lead with battle and um and the major wasn't in it as far as i remember um I she's mean, well she
1: is she comes in in a sense towards the end spoiler alert again but
0: yeah i just i mean for myself i felt that the se the sequel especially just sort of suffered without her sort of presence there um and it was so nice that obviously when we did have standalone complex it runs on its own sort of time line so it's completely separate to the films again but the fact that they still just kept the major as she is as uh just a complete badass to be honest
1: well my with *Innocence*, like the second *Ghost in the Shell* movie, um, I haven't seen that movie in a long time. I, remember I saw it. I actually did manage to catch that one in the theater uh, first came out. And um, animation-wise, that movie is beautiful, but I was a bit disappointed in it because um, while the first movie dealt with the philosophical themes well and it had like you could argue that the first movie was maybe had a little bit of pretension to it i felt like they took that a little too far in the sequel like um it it, i remember in the sequel it seemed like half of the dialogue was in quotes like it was characters like quoting other philosophers like quoting milton and stuff like that and i think when half your movie's dialogue has quotation marks around it something's a little off yeah
0: i mean it's it's interesting the fact that obviously we have this film here directed by Ishe, who also gave us the likes of Plat the which again is a completely different beast altogether. Um, is it's certainly a lot more lighthearted and it's sort of more sort of straightforward giant mecha uh, sort of anime. Where obviously we have elements of action here within the film. We have the garbage truck chase and we have the big uh, sort of finale with the tank at the end. Um, I mean, obviously, with these these scenes, I mean, would you as stand out as the? I mean, would you would prefer to have a little more action in there and extend the runtime slightly?
1: I'm not sure because with uh, Ghost in the Shell, I do remember one of the things that attracted me about it is that um, Ghost in the Shell. It's not a super uh, like action-packed explosion fest the way some other anime movies are. It's not wall-to-wall action, but when there is action in the movie, it's very, very effective. Like the The part in the movie where the major's chasing after that guy and she, you know, she twists his ankle and stuff, like you can practically feel those moments in the movie. Like they're just, you're just like, oh, like that had to hurt. So um, the action sequences that are in the movie are very kinetic and very effective, but I, yeah, it's hard to say if the movie would benefit from having more action scenes because, you know, on the one hand, the ones they have are very well done, but if the, you know, if you if you uh, have too much have too much stuff like that, you sort of risk turning the movie from an intelligent sci-fi movie to like a a Michael Bay movie or something like that. So it's a it's a very fine line to walk.
0: Yeah, I mean, obviously, with the as you said, the animation throughout, especially in those fight scenes, where again, as you said, where she twists the ankle and you do feel that that snap there. Um, the animation is absolutely sumptuous throughout. Um, we also f- uh, to get to uh, see uh, Oshi's pet beagle, again making a wonderful appearance. Uh, this time in a slightly more subtle form than the posters, but it's always fun to play uh, spot the beagle. Again with the animation here, it's not like a lot of the other anima- animations, certainly at the time where you take the still image and the camera sort of pans across. Uh, there's a lot more detail and I would say that it's certainly on a par with Akira when it comes to like, attention to detail, would you say?
1: yeah akira Akira might be a little bit uh consistently uh smooth but the ghost in the shell definitely has a lot of style to it like i love i just love um just the overall like i guess design and look of the movie like i love how i love how gloomy everything feels like the sky is always gray and there's water dripping off of pipes and uh, if you look at the backgrounds there's you can see like rust and dirt on everything So, uh, yeah, I love the detail that they put into everything in this movie. And uh, I also like how um, even though the characters, they do have sort of the standard anime, like they do have the large eyes and small mouths and stuff like that. But it's not as it's not as exaggerated as some other movies, like the, the character designs are a bit more on the realistic side, which, again, I think suits the movie.
0: Yeah found certainly would obviously when it comes to the, the character size and especially with the major uh, she barely blinks in this movie and I thought that was really a nice touch because she d- she does take on this sort of living doll expression and it's kind of what you'd expect from um, uh, as sort of a cyborg like herself who's like essentially hundred uh, cy- uh, percent animatronic so I really like the fact that uh, that she doesn't blink much and she is as a, as a I said, just sort of like portrayed this like living doll, um, but as you said, there's this. You can just spend a lot of time just sort of pausing it and just looking at the little details. Uh, the scene where she's sort of going down the canal, and you've got that wonderful backdrop with the plane coming over, uh, obviously based on uh, the famous Japanese airport. Uh, but the scene where she look, looks over to the building and she sees her identical self. Uh, in the gym. I mean, do you feel that that was like a nod to something deeper? Um, that she's sort of like just a clone of many, or do you think this was more sort of like a fancy so to speak?
1: I think, I think you could uh, interpret it like that, but, you know, at the beginning it's almost like she was, she was mass-produced, sort of, but there are... I love how a lot of sequences like that, sort of montage sequence, where it's just shots of uh, her going through the city while that sort of haunting song plays or even like the part where she's diving in the water and then she slowly goes back up to the surface um those sections like you could cut them out and they wouldn't affect the plot but i love the the dreamlike feel that they give to the movie and uh you're talking earlier about how nobody blinks i could be wrong about this but i don't know if any character cracks a smile in that movie i I don't think anybody does.
0: No, they're, they're not a bit, they're not a big emotional bunch. I think the only person I remember smiling is the garbage man.
1: Right? Yeah. When he's, um, when he's talking his, about his daughter. In. Talking about his daughter. Yeah. And um, that's and that en- and that ends up being a lie. So.
0: He does the right because he's uh, and I just love his partner, who's like a very sort of traditional anime sort of character. He's like, oh, look at my daughter and He's like, I don't want to look at that crap.
1: Yeah.
0: It's like, yeah, great.
1: <laughs> so, and then uh, I can't remember the exact line, but he, you know, he's. Uh, hacking into that terminal, and the other garbage guys goes like, "Come on, we're already ten seconds behind." Like,
0: yeah, this idea is completely
1: that. focused on his job, and yeah.
0: <laughs> but um, I mean, obviously, with the here we have sort of traditional sort of anime uh, animated style combined with CG. Um, do you feel that again that this is a, a good blend? Where obviously with Akira, we have just completely sort of traditional. Uh, cell drawn animation. Um, obviously with this one it is combining C, C uh, elements of CG which a lot of more modern anime it has now become sort of the standard to do. Um, I mean do you prefer that with anime that either goes with one or the other or do you actually prefer that sort of like meshing of the two styles?
1: Um, that's another thing that the animation of this movie does really well is that it combines the, the CG with the traditional animation, but it's subtle about it. It doesn't, it doesn't hit you over the head with it. The only, the only parts, uh, I think where it's obvious that it's CG is the parts where they're looking at like a computer display and they have like the 3d readout of like, you know, tr- tracking a guy's route route through a city, but that, you know, that's supposed to look CG, but mm. all the other times it messages very well, um, which is actually pretty amazing when you consider that it was one of the first movies to do this. I remember um, a lot of uh, a lot of American attempts to do that thing. They'd make the CGI, I guess maybe because they wanted to show it off, but they'd always make the CGI really obvious and the two would never mesh really well. Um, the thing that comes to my mind is uh, the 90s uh, Spider-Man series that I watched whenever he was swinging around the city, the buildings would be 3D and he'd be 2D and it would be so obvious that the buildings were, you know, CGI, and he, he, you know, Spider-Man would look like he was just sort of pasted on top of them, and was just—it was almost like he was like swinging in place in front of a screen or something. Yeah,
0: I know like the, uh the the one you you're talking about, and again, it was sort of a real trend for a lot of animation at the time, especially with the uh, Western animation. You obviously mentioned uh, the Amazing Spider-Man. Um, Johnny Quest uh, Johnny Quest
1: yeah that was another one yeah
0: but uh, Johnny Quest at least tried to like make something of it and go oh this is the virtual world Yeah they,
1: yeah Johnny Quest at least had a, had an excuse for it but uh, yeah the, the attitude of a lot of movies that did, or TV shows or whatever that uh, combine the two uh, they're added they seem to have the attitude of like hey look at this it's 3D isn't that neato kids like Whereas with this one, yeah, I, I liked how they played it subtle, and they tried to have the two of them mesh together as as closely as possible. Yeah,
0: I mean, obviously, since you mentioned 3D, I just wanted to just take a break because the show a second. I mean, what's your thoughts on 3D? For myself, it's a dead format that is kind of being flogged badly on a number of movies. I mean, there are exceptions like Avatar. Uh, Prometheus was very nice in 3D, but. Do you feel that I, it's sort of like a, just a gimmick, or do you? Think well, I, I think
1: should... I think it can be good for some movies. Like uh, I saw the movie uh, Dread in the theaters uh, in 3D, and the 3D in, in that movie was very well done, and it, it helped with uh, certain scenes, like when they were zooming down those like, tall apartment blocks and stuff. But um, but I think it's just something that'll. I think it's just like an occasional thing. I don't, you know. I, it, James Cameron says, like, yeah, it's the future. All movies will be like this. I don't really buy that. I think it'll just be sort of in. I think 3D's place is like as an occasional special thing for certain movies. Yeah. Um, I certainly wouldn't pay to see like a heartfelt drama in 3D because I don't think that would add anything.
0: Yeah. There's certain films you don't want to. uh, You don't want to watch in 3D. I, I made the effort not to watch the new Godzilla in 3D um because i thought it would just just ruin it for me and it, it worked perfectly fine in 2d for myself i didn't uh, obviously see dread in 3d so i would take your word for it um but i don't know kind of the traditionalist in me feels that you should only be allowed to use 3d once you get to part three of any series
1: right yeah the the uh jaws and friday the 13th rule
0: <laughs> yeah exactly um this obviously came back to uh, Ghost in the Shell now. After that little diversion there, um, the soundtrack it's sort of not traditional. It's uh, it's kind of classical, but a lot of wailing. I think it's the best way to sort of describe it. There are some well, yeah,
1: it's got it's got, got the the, um, the sort of you know um, classical uh, Japanese like choir, uh, female choir uh, going for like the opening credits and during the the sequence where. Uh, there's the different shots of like the major in the city. Um, and I think again, in this movie, it works really well. There's, there's some other scenes like, um, where that type of music can really make like sort of a haunting, strange atmosphere. And, and it, you know, there are, I guess in the end credits of the American version, there's a bit of, uh, electronic music, but I'm glad that, um, they didn't try to make it. They didn't try to make the soundtrack like as really, uh, as trendy as they possibly could like didn't didn't try to make it sound like a a chemical brothers album or something like that like a, they, they stuck with a, a sound that could be sort of out of time yeah which i, I
0: mean, liked yeah in many ways it is um sort of very so to, to the, what we come to expect from uh kinji uh who has done pretty much all the films for uh, all the films for Zero, uh, sorry, uh, of Oshi um, of his career. He's also done his live-action films as well, like Avalon, uh, which for myself is was really a nice uh, sort of add-on to this film. Um, and interesting to see that he's able to obviously work within a live-action format. I don't know if you saw Avalon at all.
1: No, I didn't. I did see uh, Assault Girls, which is the <laughs> su- pseudo sequel to it, I guess, and I didn't, re- it had a cool look to it, but I wasn't too impressed with Assault Girls, personally.
0: Um, but yeah, I mean, um, obviously Ghost in the Shell, for my money, one of the essential uh, animes of all time. Um, as you said we, when we started obviously talking about the film, it is a perfect introduction to anime. Um, and from here you can obviously go on to films like Akira. Uh, if you want to state things a little more extreme, you can look at things like Uh, Ninja Scroll, or again, if you just prefer to keep things arty, look at things like um, Wings of Anonymous which, for my money, is again, another essential anime, but for some reason or another it's sort of uh, being cast to the relics of uh, anime nostalgia, sadly Um, Anything else that you want to obviously bring up uh, with this one first?
1: Yeah, you say, not only uh, do I think is this one of the essential anime movies but I would go as far as to say that it's I would say it's one of the essential uh, sci-fi movies that's been made in the past 20 years or so. Um, When I think of uh, science fiction movies made sort of from the 90s to today, if I made a a top 10, I think Ghost in the Shell would definitely be in there. Yeah.
0: That's great. Um, Obviously, further viewing. If you uh, like Ghost in the Shell, is there anything that you would personally sort of recommend as uh, further viewing?
1: Uh, Well, uh, Akira, obviously, if you... If you haven't seen that one already, that's another essential uh, essential anime movie. Yeah. Um, another one that isn't so much for the philosophical themes, but another movie where that has uh, action sequences with a similar sort of kick to them is uh, Ninja Scroll. That one's a lot more extreme. There's a lot more gore and stuff in that one, but that's another one where uh, for the fight scenes, you can really feel the impact of everything that happens there. So uh, yeah, those are probably the, the two main ones that come to my mind.
0: Yeah. I mean, the problem with Akira though, once you've seen Akira, it would ruin every anime that you ever watch after it, because nothing will ever compare to it. Yeah,
1: that's why that's why I watched uh, Ghost in the Shell first. So
0: <laughs> I think that he probably had an advantage over myself, who was traumatized first with Devilman, um, caught a little bit of Legend of the Overfiend because there was a program talking about anime and. For some reason or another, that's the, what they chose to use as their example. Um, and then obviously you saw um, Akira, which, again, the ending kind of freaked me out, where uh, Tetsu kind of loses it and becomes this gelatinous blob. Um, and then obviously I, it made me still more cautious going into this film, but again, Ghost in the Show is, just a, is a truly, truly wonderful anime, and it's a film I constantly return to, and um, I can't recommend it enough, really. Right, going to take a short break. Uh, When we return we'll be looking at the second film of this evening, uh, Sam Raimi's classic debut, The Evil Dead.
1: All right, guys. So we need to record our top three reasons why you should listen to French Toast Sunday podcast. Number three should definitely be our diverse opinions. Number two should probably be our top three lists that we do every week. No, it's got to—it's got to be Mark Wahlberg. What about Gwyneth Paltrow's head? It's got to be fighting the sadness in the swamp of sadness. Full frontal stories about being lost at sea. Brendan Fraser being underground. Helen Mirren's boobs. Baltimore accents as heard in The Wire.
0: Wunderklaus!
1: Crepes. Character studies.
0: Wait, 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 wait guys. What about movies? Tree rape. Tree rape? Yeah, I like tree rape. Tune in
1: every Friday for a new episode of French Toast Sunday podcast brought to you by us at FrenchToastSunday.com.
0: Clothing made out of Burger King wrappers. (laughs) We're back, uh, you're listening to still listening to the Mad Bad and Downright Strange showcase with, my, with myself, Edward Jones. Uh, joining me in the studio still this evening is Brandon Tenold. So, uh, thank you uh, again for coming and hanging out this evening, Brandon.
1: Yeah, no problem, man.
0: Um, the second film that you selected this evening is, I would say, probably the polar opposite of the first one we looked at this evening, Ghost in the Show. have uh, decided to go with the 1981 uh, classic, The Evil Dead. Um, For those of you who have not seen The Evil Dead, it's the story of five friends who head to a cabin in the woods where they find a copy of an ancient book detailing demonic possession and ceremonies. Uh, As well as the book, they also find a tape recording translating the book which, unknown to them, also releases the dark evil which hides within the woods. Um, Evil Dead is probably not only Sam Raimi's debut film, uh, the film which also gave us the launch pad for Bruce Campbell's career, the B movie legend that he is now. Um, the film would also have a notorious effect, as it almost made it onto the Video Nasties list, and for many years, from being released in various stages of cut form. Uh, Funny. Oh, so, cut
1: it, so it didn't actually make the list, then? I no, it, it did.
0: didn't. Um, there's a lot of people believe it, it made the list, but um, it didn't. It was uh, almost made the list. It was one of the highlighted titles. Uh, the, B, the BBFC uh, opted instead to. Trim it down in places. I think they removed about five minutes of footage, um, which are we'll obviously discussed a bit later in uh, this section. Uh, but no, the actual film wasn't released until 2002 in its true uncut format, uh, where it's now rightfully regarded as probably one of the, the scariest horror movies I've ever made, and certainly one of the few films which Stephen King himself has uh, lended higher claim to. Um, Obviously, I'm guessing that this is another of your favorites, uh, Brandon. Am I right, in so?
1: Yeah, this is. Uh, I'd say Evil Dead* is the the ultimate cabin in the woods movie that's ever been made.
0: Yeah, uh, I can't think. I can't think of another. I can't think of another movie compared to it. So, uh, I know when we were obviously compiling the list of uh, films to be on it, there are certain films that obviously I was scared about rewatching, things like *Legend of the Fiend*, *Mermaid in a Manhole*, and of course there was this film, um, which it's rather icky to say the least um, this is not only a film which will torture, you, torture your senses but visually it will probably scar you as well as Sam Raimi just goes absolutely balls to the wall and doesn't hold back at all as and no doubt we'll probably be talking talked about it in more, uh, more more detail later um, obviously this was his debut film um, I mean, how do you think it stands up as, uh, as a debut film, especially compared to the films which followed?
1: Well, yeah, like you're saying, uh, Sam Raimi, just everything he had at this movie, like he is a tremendously ballsy movie from a first-time filmmaker. He did not pull any punches at all. And I think that's a big part of the reason of, you know, why the movie and why Raimi as a director got a lot of attention. Um, it showed that the guy could do a lot with not very much money and produce something really good. So
0: Yeah. I mean, certainly, as we mentioned already, this film uh, didn't end up on the Videos Nasty's list. I know that the media moralist Mary Whitehouse, um, who was probably one of the main sort of characters within the the sort of uh, morality and media sort of campaign and sort of that whole hype and fear around the time of its release and which again for a lot of times, saw a lot of video stores not carrying this film and meant that the only sort of Evil Dead experience we got was with the sequel, Evil Dead Two, uh, which essentially was a remake. Um, I mean, obviously. Compared- well, Evil
1: Dead. Sorry, sorry to interrupt you, but with That's- Evil Dead Two, like the the sequel remake question, I kind of think Evil Dead Two is it's a remake for about like the first fifteen minutes or so, um, like it retells his time in the cabin, and then. From the part of the movie where the you know the evil force comes at him and carries carries him away, from that point on, then it's a sequel. That's sort of that's sort of how I think of Evil Dead Two.
0: Yeah, it's it's the same as uh, it's essentially what uh, Desperado is to Elmer Archie. Kind of, yeah, yeah. Um, obviously, the the film is, as we've said already, is extremely gra- graphic in places. I would say that. It's a sort of toss up between which film pushes it further, whether Evil Dead 2 is worse because obviously it features Ash cutting off his own hand with a chainsaw uh, or whether this film is actually worse because we have such delights as the angry tree rape and the pencil in the ankle sequence, uh, both which are as cringeworthy now as they were when the film was released
1: yeah like evil dead 2 and some other evil dead 2 has uh probably technically has more blood in it but in that one they take it to such an extent that it's it's completely unrealistic and it just becomes sort of surreal um like there's parts in that where you know there's a human body does not contain that much blood so you you almost can't take it seriously whereas with yeah the the pencil in the uh the ankle scene in this film that's one where they it's a scene that really gets you where You know, she's twisting it around and you can just it's you can just go, oh, like you can you can actually like imagine how much something like that would hurt.
0: Yeah. I mean, certainly in many ways, when it comes to the gore, Sam Raimi is for myself, he comes off as quite the voyeur when it comes to gore. Whereas other directors will show like a quick flash of the gore, he really lingers on the shots as we said before, um, and you were saying with the pencil on the ankle, you're not just showing it stabbed in, you're just it stabbed in and twisted around. Um, and again with the scenes like the tree rape, it goes on probably longer than, it's, than you're sort of comfortable watching. Um, as you not only see... You see where, obviously, she's having her clothes torn off, and you think, oh, it's just going to cut away and we're going to see something else, but no, he does actually just keeps going, um, and that's a scene which actually saw a lot of the cuts on its original release, um, especially a tree branch being put in a rather uncomfortable place.
1: Yeah, he he really uh, pushed a lot of boundaries with this movie because it's weird to think, because the movie, the movie came out in uh, 1981, I believe, yeah. And a lot of horror movies made before that, um, it's, it's strange, a lot of horror movies made before that uh, have a reputation for being gory, even when they're not. Like Halloween, uh, people remember that movie as being bloodier than it actually is. Uh, even like the first Texas Chainsaw Massacre, there really isn't, it, it suggests a lot, but it doesn't really actually show a lot. Mm. And then with Evil Dead, he sort of he took it to the next step and, he, and said like, all right, I'm going I'm to actually show you what a body getting hacked apart by an axe is like like i'm i'm gonna i'm gonna put this stuff in your face
0: yeah it's um i i can't help but wonder because it's his debut film uh whether this is the reason he pushes it as far as he as he can because he's sort of not working within the studio system when he's making the film um i mean there's a classic quotes that obviously when was being given advice on what he should do when it came to making the film um, and his friend Andy Granger uh, basically gave him the advice of fellas no matter what you do keep the blood running down the screen um, as the only sort of guidelines and I think for the most part that's essentially what he does especially when we look at films like uh, things such as the meltdown sequence at the end which is essentially Bruce Campbell being tortured uh, for the most part and being covered in pie fillings
1: and yeah um well and taking an extreme stance like that because i Ramey was what, what was he like 20 years old when he made this or 21 like he was really young mm. so he was pr- full of probably full of youthful energy and just um you know the saying there's uh, no such thing as bad publicity it really is true because that's a good way to get to get a lot of attention to this movie uh, i remember uh when I first heard of it, it had a big reputation. Like, oh man, you got to see this! It's so, you know, it's so gory and blah blah blah, and it's, and it's crazy. You know, you have you have to see it. So that that really helped uh, this low budget horror movie get a lot of international attention. and then, and then of course, uh, Stephen King endorsing it was also a big boost too.
0: Yeah, I would say for the longest time, I thought that, for myself at least this was probably one of the bloodiest films I'd ever seen. Until I obviously encounter Peter Jackson's Brain Dead, uh, which I believe in the states was released as Dead Alive.
1: Dead Alive, yeah.
0: Um, Which again really upped the ante again because if you thought chainsaws were bad, you should really see what what they managed to do with a petrol driven lawnmower. and that was
1: made. That was made more than a decade later, too. And yeah, Dead Alive too. So.
0: Yeah, and
1: and Dead Alive is another one where I feel uh, kind of like the the sequels to Evil Dead. It takes the gore. It's basically pushing it as like so far that it becomes, it becomes surreal. Like it becomes almost impossible to take seriously. Whereas with the first Evil Dead, it's kind of pushing the gore as far as as far as you can do it while still have it be somewhat realistic.
0: Yeah. I mean, I mean, certainly he's with the Evil Dead, he's, any sort of go- way to get gore, uh, Raimi seems to be there, so we've got like amputations, stabbings, beatings, um, there's basically any sort of fluid that you can throw at the screen, he does, and he sort of brings it together in that wonderful meltdown sequence at the end, which as I said before, does basically seem to be the first of the many occasions where Bruce Campbell's been tortured by Sam Raimi during filming.
1: And another thing that I I think makes uh, this movie so effective is that... Because there's a lot of directors who could just, you know, buy a bunch of corn syrup and red food coloring and make gore. But with this one, um, the camera work and editing in the movie is so inventive, especially for a low-budget movie, that it helps give it uh, that much more of an impact. Like, there's there's a... A lot of the shots have, like, a, a real energy to them that helps it out.
0: Yeah. I mean... Obviously, with the, the cast, again, there's not um, any sort of really experienced players within the cast. Um, but it doesn't, you don't feel like you're watching sort of an amateur production. You do feel like this is a professional production uh, right from the beginning. They're like a believable group of uh, kids. I think the only unbelievable sequence, and I think this is more down to the Edison, is when you see them driving up in the car and they're drinking moonshine.
1: Yeah, and that's, I guess, it's just sort of the the stock uh, sort of horror movie set up at that time the sort of kids drinking and partying on their way to the the cabin in the woods but yeah I think I think the rest of it is pretty effective it is kind of interesting to uh, to notice the contrast between uh, Bruce Campbell's ash character in this movie and him in the sequels because if you if you look at Ash in the first movie and then look at him in Army of Darkness he's pretty much a completely different character. Like, in this movie, he acts, he's scared, he doesn't know what to do, he's kind of, he's a little awkward in some of the scenes.
0: Yeah, it's, um. I think the problem with the character of Ash is that everyone kind of remembers uh, sort of the wisecracking badass he is in, part, in Army of Darkness. Um, mm-hmm. And they assume, they sort of, like, related that this is how he was the whole way through, but as you said in the first one, he's just panicked out of his mind. The second one, he sort of, steps up to the plate and become you see him sort of becoming uh the badass he would become by part three obviously with uh this one we've also seen a lot of the sort of sam raimi icons things like chainsaws the oldsmobile um make all make their debut here um and as we said uh, bruce campbell is also making his debut here what do you think it is about bruce campbell that sort of just makes him so likable
1: i think it's just he's got the uh like he one, he's got the, the look where he almost looks like a like a comic book character with the the big chin and the. I know he didn't really have it in the first movie, but in the second one, he's kind of got like the bit of the, the Superman curl in his hair a little bit. So that's memorable. And uh, again, not so much in this movie, but in the sequels, yeah, the guy knows how to spit out one-liners, which is yeah. which is essential for any uh, any sort of uh, cult icon.
0: Um, obviously to raise money for the film uh, Raimi did do the short uh, Within the Woods I mean did you ever see Within the Woods it's not something I've ever
1: yeah found. I did I saw I saw like a really like low quality bootleg version of it on the internet uh, a little while ago and uh, you know obviously it's not uh, it's not Evil Dead but that's still a case where cause it, for just like a short movie that Raimi made when he was I think he was still a teenager when he made that Um you can still see the the potential in him with that short movie, and it was just you know the whole reason he made it was just to get people interested in uh, in investing in Evil Dead.
0: Yeah, and one of the, certainly one of the aspects uh, with this film, which which sadly was never replicated in the films which followed, um, and that is just the sheer creepiness of Betsy Baker, um, whose combination of the milky white contacts that she wears when she's possessed. And this Cheshire-like cat grin, which I'm not sure if it was prosthetic or just her own grin, is probably one of the most haunting images in cinema um, and up there with the turtle scene in Cannibal Holocaust for myself. I mean, is there any other sort of of cast members other than, obviously, Mr. Campbell, that that sort of stood out to you at all?
1: Um, I thought the... um, I know, like, her credited name is... uh, I think it's Ellen Sandweiss, but that's not her real name. The the actress who played uh, Ash's sister in it um, I think did a good job as well because she's the one she's the first one to realize something isn't something's not right and she's also the first one to get possessed in the movie
0: yeah um, Yeah. she just ends up getting a rough sort of deal I mean she's beaten up with with wood. she's locked in the cellar um, And I know a lot of sort of drama critics have when they've like talked about characters that they would save. She's always been like a character that's frequently come up. Um, I mean would you have liked to have seen any characters? Sort of being uh, that, that would have made it to the end, or do you think it sort of uh, works uh, well, with obviously flipping the sort of final girl sort of idea on its head by having Ash as sort of the sole survivor?
1: Well, that's that's actually the thing. One of the things I like about the movie is that yeah, there are no even if you if you just if you pretend the sequels didn't get made, technically even Ash doesn't really make it to the end. He does the evil force does. It's implied that it gets him in the end too, um, and it's also unique in that there's not. It's n- they're not fighting like an external threat, like a you know like a Michael Myers or a uh, Jason Voorhees that they have to run away from. It's yeah. they're they're getting possessed and they have to fight themselves basically, yeah. and I think I think that's one of the one of the most memorable things about the movie is ash basically has to kill all of his friends like yeah you know he cuts his girlfriend's head off with a shovel in the movie
0: yeah it's um there's something about the evil Pension in the woods because it never really has a face uh you see it obviously possess the various characters and uh certainly like the sequels it possessed the cabin itself um as we see like all the the lamp and the deer head come to life and that but i mean do you think it the fact that we never see the evil that uh, that hides in the woods, uh, that it never has any sort of form, really sort of adds to the sort of fear element that it possesses.
1: Yeah, there's some in in uh, horror movies. I think there are some things that are better left unseen. Um, I don't think it it I think it would have been cheesy if they would have like would have cut to like the character's perspective and there was some like ghosts effect or something flying around i think it was a lot better to keep the the evil force more ambiguous
0: yeah um obviously it's the the film it has gone on to spawn its own legacy uh we've had two sequels we had evil dead 2 we had for my money the best of the trilogy army of darkness um a, a fact that's just widely disagreed with whenever i bring up bring up obviously my favorites of the evil dead trilogy um i mean did you like army of darkness or do you have a particular favorite within the trilogy
1: yeah i like i like army of darkness but it's for for very different reasons like army of darkness is definitely the most quotable one of the series for sure but uh yeah both in terms of like uh tone and stuff like that it's army of darkness is almost a complete 180 from uh from the first movie and uh, it's, you know, it's interesting you brought up earlier where uh, you said that people remember uh, not just Ash, but just the overall tone of Army of Darkness, and they think it was like that all the way through. I remember that was one of the biggest complaints about uh, the remake of Evil Dead, was that a lot of fans were like, how come this isn't funny? <laughs> well, the first one wasn't funny.
0: I've like, not watch, I've like, yet watch... to see the uh, remake yet, but I've, I've heard that a lot of people were pissed. A
1: lot of people didn't like it. I I actually quite enjoyed it. Um I'm you know, it's not going to replace uh the first one for me or anything like that. But um yeah, I thought it was an effective horror movie that again, people say what well, didn't get it didn't get what the first one was about. No, it didn't get what Evil Dead 2 and Army of Darkness were about. It wasn't it wasn't trying to remake those movies. It was trying to remake the first movie and with the first movie Sam Raimi was trying to make the scariest, craziest movie that he could with the money and resources that he had at the time.
0: Yeah, I would say, I would say mission achieved. Uh, yeah, you don't even get a let up on the credits. You get this sort of like jaunty sort of jazz tune, but that winds down to. This and then it extent. winds
1: down, and then, and then you just hear you hear like the flies buzzing for a little bit, and then even that, and even even that dies out.
0: Yeah, and it's sort of like, well, I'm not going to be sleeping tonight. <laughs> Um, I mean, obviously, as as you said, you've got the remake that's uh, recently come out. We've got the Evil Dead musical. We've got uh, the video games and the sort of comic spin-offs. As a franchise gets become sort of more merchandise and we have sort of spin-offs, certainly as in the case of, like, uh, Friday the 13th and Nightmare on Elm Street especially, uh, which was probably one of the most merchandise horror movies uh, for my... For myself, at least, uh, when you obviously got things like the Freddy Krueger glove and they're sort of of branding these things for kids. And Uh, that's and
1: that's another series, even even more so than Evil Dead, I would say, where, you know, uh, Freddy Krueger, both the character and the first movie started out as a legitimate like scary horror movie. And then they just got progressively like goofier and dumber as the series went on. Um, it wasn't until like a new nightmare that they decided to sort of go back to the roots and that happened and that happened quick because I think um, uh, which one is it is it is it Freddy's dead where he has like the power glove like that was only uh, yeah, few, Freddy's that T- was T- only that was only a few years after the the first movie like in the first movie Freddy's really scary and then the next one's just like you forgot the power glove. Now I'm playing with power. Like what? What the hell happened to this character? <laughs> I, think,
0: I think that film was in, in trouble from the opening five minutes where he's on a broomstick. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's sort of like, oh, here, kids, have the glove of the child molesting serial killer.
1: Yeah, and and um, evil dead. Evil dead is one of the few series where it made the shift to being humorous effectively. Yeah. Um, most other horror franchises, I. I haven't really liked when they've done that, but yeah, that's Evil Dead is the only one where you have like a dark, scary first movie, and then a you know a very uh, funny sort of Three Stooges-y third movie, and you know they're both they're both great. So,
0: yeah, I mean, obviously, I think you hit it on the head there when you mentioned the Three Stooges because Rami Ra- is a big Stooges fan. Um, certainly, it shows more so within the third movie. There are elements within the second film uh, where basically he gets to the point where Bruce Campbell's just being tortured and hit by branches and anything else that Raymond could think of while he was obviously shooting the film um I mean obviously the film the series becomes sort of more franchised out um do you feel that it sort of loses any of the anything at all or do you think it's still able to stand out stand uh, stand up even though it obviously has had all these sort of offshoots from it
1: I think Evil. I think Evil Dead is in a good place where um, it's been it's been franchised out like just enough so that we have it's able to create like this big following, but it hasn't uh, been done to death like some of the other movies. Like again, there's still only three movies, whereas you know that's way less than you know however many uh, Friday the Thirteenth movies there are. Uh,
0: Friday the Thirteenth. I think we've eleven or twelve.
1: Yeah, because there's, well, there's Jason X, and there's Freddy versus Jason, and then there was the remake, so if you count that. So, yeah. But it's, yeah, so, um, an Evil Dead, and uh, they just announced there's that uh, TV show, The Ash vs. The Evil Dead, which I'm excited about. Because I think, because it's been over 20 years since uh, Army of Darkness, so I think, I think that's a good amount of time where uh, Bruce Campbell's not you know enough time's gone by to make you yearn for it but at the same time Bruce Campbell's not like so old that he won't be able to play Ash anymore really so i think i think i think uh the evil dead franchise is in sort of it's in a good spot regarding uh uh franchising and merchandising and stuff yeah if if uh, if ash ever gets his like own like saturday morning cartoon that's when you'll know that they've gone too far
0: i would i, I would love to see them try and make people dead into a saturday morning cartoon
1: well they made well they made robocop into a cartoon they did
0: um rambo
1: rambo rambo they were they were gonna make uh aliens into uh kids cartoon and then canceled it but they still put out the the toys for it which yeah. i i actually had when i was a kid
0: the toys were awesome
1: <laughs> yeah yes. the toys were great but i just yeah just taking these really hardcore r-rated movies and then making uh Kids' cartoons out of them is weird. It really yes. got that. Yeah,
0: I mean, just to obviously uh, backtrack just slightly. I mean, obviously now we can see the film in its full uncut glory. Um, obviously, when it was released, the B uh, the BBFC were making a lot of stupid cuts. I mean, we had Texas Chainsaw Massacre was banned. Um, I think just on the basis of the fact it had chainsaw in the title, and that the head at the time um, was really against. Some very random things like he didn't like chainsaws or um, Eastern weapons or blood on breasts,
1: and these yeah, were there's, things
0: that he was cussing out completely.
1: Well, in in Britain, uh, you had to change uh, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles to Teenage Mutant Hero Turtles, didn't you? Yeah. So really, yeah, yeah some really arbitrary choices there.
0: It's it's the whole. Sort of period. I don't know if anywhere else in the world would have had something like the video Nasty Scandal. And all they obviously did uh, did do, really, was to create a watch list for uh, the sort of more genre fans to sort of hunt down these titles. And a lot of them aren't particularly good. But I think we remember... Oh, yeah. Just like on the like I
1: said, there's there's no such thing as bad publicity. So, yeah. <laughs> true, true.
0: Um, obviously, before I uh, wrap this one up, I mean, is there anything else that you want to obviously discuss about uh the evil dead i mean do you feel that it's best now it's finally in its uncut form
1: yeah absolutely because it was you know it was always meant to be like a really uh extreme in your face movie so seeing seeing it cut um i don't think it would get the same effect
0: Mm. and i think um certainly they as brutal as the angry molesting tree is it's still an effective sequence, and the fact that it appears so early on really sort of sets a precursor of what's going to follow. Um, and it's sort of like if you can't stand this sequence, well, just don't watch the rest of it because it's only going to get worse from here on in. But um, I have to say, I was amused to see that the Evil Molested Tree, as well as the Deadites, did uh, make an appearance in Cavern in the Woods.
1: Yeah, yeah. Um, there is, that, I, I liked how uh, you could play sort of spot the. Uh spot the monster with the end part there and mm. pick which uh, which movie they were homaging.
0: Because uh, obviously in *Cabin in the Woods they have the boards where they're sort of placing bets on which monster's going to be unleashed. And as you said, there's so many sort of homages uh, in there. I think the only monster on the board that doesn't appear is Kevin, uh, which is discussed in the making of book, and he would be like this normal guy who just does very bad things, in Josh Wheldon's uh, own words there. Um it's, it's- but, um, obviously, Evil Dead, I mean, it is a classic of the 80s. Um, certainly one, for my money, probably one of the best films of the, that particular era. Uh, if not, certainly one of the more extreme. Um, any further sort of viewing? If you like Evil Dead, where would you go from here?
1: Um, well, the sequels, obviously. The sequels are very different. But, uh, yeah, if you, if you haven't seen them, I'd say both uh, Evil Dead 2 and Army of Darkness are essential viewing um as far as like let's see similar horror movies from that time well i guess uh i don't know if this is on your list or not but uh uh john carpenter's version of the thing uh yeah. is another movie i think that i would i would put in that category
0: uh unquestionably one of the scariest movies of all time yeah uh, it's doing the shrink wrap i know what's on that dvd i'm not <laughs> in any was, it, was
1: that one was that one on the uh, video nasties list
0: it wasn't on the video nasty's list. Um, it is on our 1001 uh, list, so eventually, at uh, some point, we will get to covering it on a future podcast, hopefully. But uh, that was
1: there was another one I was uh, thinking about, by the way. But yeah, I, I thought uh, thought I'd pick Evil Dead.
0: <laughs> yeah, it's um it's a it's a good choice. Uh, no questions and. As much as it scares, it scares the living hell out of me, no matter how many times I watch it, um, and it has got some truly nauseous scenes, it is well deserving of the the praise and acclaim that it has within the sort of horror community. And you can understand why, it stand when you watch it, even if you're not a big horror fan, why it's obviously uh, proclaimed as being one of the best. Um, for myself, if you're obviously going to go further down the sort of uh, this line, I would. Recommend uh, Texas Chainsaw Massacre. It's lighter than Evil Dead, but it's got that same sort of intensity. Um, whereas, if you want just balls to the wall slatter, then you're better off looking at things like Peter Jackson's Bad Taste, uh, which again whips out chainsaws. Um, or if you really want to go out there, then uh, Brain Dead, or if you're in the States, Dead Alive, uh, which reason we saw no body sort of humor within Shaun of the Dead, basically because Peter Jackson just obliterates any sort of. Body humor that you can get out of the movie, and in many ways it amuses me if people who are obviously only familiar with his work from like the Lord of the Rings and like think, oh, what else has uh, Peter Jackson done? And they watch uh, things like Meet the Feebles. And yeah, I was just I was just
1: gonna say, just wait till they get to Meet the Feebles.
0: <laughs> it's sort of like, and again, it's like, as uh, like when John Waters people like uh, watch Hairspray, and it's like, oh, what else is on Oh, Pink Flamingos. This sounds fun, and like, it's either, like the singing anus scene and that. Yeah, um, But no, um, thank you again for coming on and picking uh, the two films this evening, Ghost in the Shell and The Evil Dead. Obviously, if people want to uh, see your see reviews and obviously keep track of uh, what you, what's happening, where's the best place to find you, Brandon? Um,
1: best place would probably be my uh, YouTube channel. It's just youtube.com slash user slash TheBrandonTennell. It used to be just Brandon Tennell, but my old channel got terminated without warning uh, earlier this year and i had to rebuild it so now it's the brand internal um you can also see my videos on channelawesome.com uh it used to be that guy with the glasses.com but they're they're phasing that site out and moving everything over to channel awesome so yeah those are the those are the best places to see my stuff okay
0: and if you got anything sort of uh, coming up uh, coming up that you want to sort of uh, promote so plug away um, just, I mentioned
1: at the end of my last video that for my, uh, my 50th, uh, episode of my show is coming up and I'm going to do something Godzilla related, but I don't want to, I don't want to get any more specific than that. So
0: I'm looking forward to it. I, it's always fun whenever you do a Godzilla sort of later movie. I mean, am I right in saying that Toho didn't take kindly to one of them?
1: No, I, you, you're thinking of, uh, I think it's in, uh, Godzilla versus the sea monster where I make a joke <laughs> About uh, Toho, that, that's all that was. That was just a joke. Oh, that's they okay.
0: Actually, so, I, I, yeah. I know that they do get kind of defensive whenever you... I'm actually,
1: the- I'm the- actually the- amazed that they haven't done anything yet. I'm kind of waiting for the for the rug to get pulled out from under me <laughs> in that regard. But so far, I've been okay. So.
0: I mean, obviously, Toho uh, this week have announced that they're getting back on the Godzilla franchise and bringing out a new film. I mean, are you excited to see a new Godzilla, or...?
1: Yeah, definitely, because it's been uh, it's been the longest gap in between a, a Japanese Godzilla movie. It's been ten years now, and it's going to be because I, I, I think they said twenty sixteen is when they were thinking of opening it. So that's going to be twelve years since the last Japanese Godzilla movie. So yeah, I think it's I think it's time for him to come back.
0: I mean, it's obviously we've got um, Gareth Ennis is uh, doing the American trilogy at the moment. Uh, which obviously, as we mentioned in previous podcasts, there's a lot of rumours floating around that it's going to be leading up to a remake of Godzilla vs. King Kong, uh, while the new Toho film is going to be completely separate altogether, which I think's kind of nice that they're going off and doing their own thing. And I'm I'm really hoping that it's going to just stay old-school effect and just be uh, more man-in-a-suit, uh, while the American ones can obviously have their CGI Godzilla. I was
1: just going to say, I'm not... Um usually in the older like some of the other uh, toho godzilla movies whenever they do godzilla cgi it, it's looked really bad so far but um there is a, another japanese movie i think it was it sunset on um how is it called sunset on fifth Street or something um um blank on the title but there's a a dream sequence in it where they have Godzilla and Godzilla's done CG and it actually they actually pull it off pretty effectively so I think that kind of proves that uh, you can you can do a CGI Godzilla if it's if it's done right so um, I'm hoping personally I hope they kind of do if they do a CGI Godzilla they make make sure with uh, some old school effects but I guess we'll see
0: um, again, thank you, Brandon, for coming on. Uh, hopefully, we'll get you uh, back on for a few, uh, future episode of the podcast in the new year and uh, discuss some more films from the list. Yeah, I'd love to do that. Cool. Um, but until next time, this is Edward Jones signing off for another edition of the Mad, Bad, and Downright Strange Showcase. and remind you all to keep it strange.